Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 72. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Back again this week to discuss another live-action remake. This one, very, very special because... It was a launch day title for Disney+. Plus, So the movie came out this past November 12th. Of course, we are talking about Lady and the Tramp. And I remember when they announced that this movie was getting a live-action remake. I said, okay, perfect, sounds good. Um, I was concerned, and I said this when we talked about the original Lady and the Tramp, which was back on episode number 63, that my concern when it came to this wasn't that they were going to change the story to the point that they heard it so much as it was that when the animals actually spoke, I thought it may have been better served if it was like a homeward bound where they didn't actually speak and it was sort of like an inner monologue because in my mind, I don't know, for whatever reason, I guess because it's dogs and cats, I had like Beverly Hills Chihuahua in my head. <laughs> no, and for some reason, you're not defaulting to like Jungle Book and Lion King where you did see it full-blown animation. I thought for sure your big concern was going to be the Siamese cats. Oh, I knew that they were gone. I, there were, I figured there's no way that they're going to make it into this film. Spoiler, they don't. Um, they do. Well, yeah, they ca- not, cats are in the film. There's, yeah, there's cats, cats are in the film. Not the same way. Yeah. But we'll, we'll get to that. When you heard that they were doing, and of course, it, it didn't come as a surprise because when we know that they're doing these live action reboots. When you heard they were doing Lady and the Tramp, what was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was not so much surprised that this was getting a live action remake, but that this was what they chose to go to Disney Plus as one of the cornerstone films. Um, You know, this is obviously one of the classic animated films. It's something that Walt himself touched. So I thought for that alone, they'd want to take it to the big screen and maybe do something more recent from the Disney Renaissance, like put Aladdin straight there, put Lion King straight to Disney Plus because... Those films were a lot more controversial from people of our generation being nervous that their childhood was going to get ruined. And you're also feeding it right to the generation that has become very accustomed to streaming. So I thought just based on the demographic, that might be what they did with Aladdin or Lion King. But I don't know that people would have cared as much about Lady and the Tramp to go see it in a theater. Well, that's what I was going to say. It makes total sense because of the three of them that you just mentioned, which one is going to draw the smallest box office? Lady Lady and Trump. And it's not even going to be close. And both Lion King and Aladdin did very well at the box office. So I'm not surprised. In fact, in a way, I think that this was actually a smart launch for Disney Plus because it's safe. I think the movie cost about $45 million to make, but when you compare that to most films, certainly a film, not an indie, you know, this is a film that Disney is going to produce and give a theatrical release to, 
45 million is a drop in the bucket. I mean, that's their advertising budget. That's half their advertising budget for certain films. Yeah, really. So it does make sense. And I thought it made sense at the time that this one was going right there. Plus, I think there's that comfort level with Lady and the Tramp because you're right. It is a classic. It has elements in there that, yes, Walt Disney had his hands on most of the films that were made in his lifetime. Even if he wasn't actually drawing and painting, he was so involved in the creative. But there are a lot of things in the original Lady and the Tramp that were borderline autobiographical. Things that had actually happened between Walt and Lillian Disney. So I think putting it on Disney Plus was smart for all the reasons I mentioned. In addition to, you needed a draw. The Mandalorian, yes, is a draw. It also has a demographic. High School Musical, the musical, the series, has a demographic. The Imagineering Story has a demographic. Nobody knows or nobody knew what Encore was going to be. So I think to have something palpable that you've seen a million times that you can borderline recite at least certain lines of dialogue and certain songs, it makes sense that this is what they drew you in because they wanted your money from launch day. Right, because they also had Noel, which was an original production for Disney+, Plus, but that's not enough to carry it. No. You needed something that was familiar to people. And it, sure. You know, other than the things that were in the vault. But how does this compare to the film that was in the vault or is now out of the vault? Because there's really not a vault anymore. Even though there is a physical vault in Burbank. In Burbank. We've seen it. Before we discuss the 2019 remake of the classic film, though, I'm going to give you brief, and I mean brief, plot synopsis for the original film. Jim Deere gets darling lady as a christmas gift she's in the hat box we've seen it a hundred times he doesn't want her to sleep in the bed with them but eventually she worms her way in it's supposed to be for one night and if anybody out there owns a dog you know that that's never the case and she becomes a fixture in bed every single night and jim Deere has eventually warmed up to this just when you think things can't get any better for the family of three, it turns out that Darling is pregnant. Lady takes a back seat. She doesn't understand why. She's conversing with Jacques and Trusty, her neighbors and also her friends about this, and that's when you meet the tramp for the first time. And he tells her that when the baby moves in, the dog moves out. So Jim, Deer and Darling go on a trip we still don't know where they went, although this movie sort of kind of answers, well, doesn't sort of answer, completely answers that question. Um, we don't know where they're going, but they call on Aunt Sarah to come and babysit. And when her Siamese cats rile Lady up, they frame her as a bad dog. And Aunt Sarah takes Lady to a pet shop to have a muzzle put on her. She eventually escapes, gets lost finds the tramp, he helps get the muzzle off of her and shows her that street life isn't so bad. In an attempt to distract the dog catcher, Lady is captured instead of Tramp, and Tramp gets away. Lady is taken to the pound where she learns about the truth about Tramp and why they call him Tramp. She is later rescued, for all intents and purposes, from the pound. 
by Jim Deere and Darling. And back at the house, she swears Tramp off forever. While that is happening, a rat climbs into the baby's nursery. But because Lady has been detained and cannot get to the rat, Tramp goes in and destroys the room, accidentally, mind you, as he's trying to kill the rat, which he eventually does. Because the family thinks that he's attacked the baby, they call the dog catcher, he's taken to the pound, they realize they've made a terrible mistake, Lady, Trusty, and Jacques go to stop the dog catcher, there's an accident in the horse and trolley, which leaves Trusty injured, it also leaves Tramp injured, if I remember correctly, but everybody is healed, and the next Christmas rolls around, and we see that Lady and Tramp are living happily with Jim Deere, Darling, the baby, and they have puppies of their own. So that is quickly the plot for the original Lady and the Tramp. And now we'll see how 2019 compares. Um, You know, last week we discussed the Dumbo live-action remake, and Tim Burton basically took Dumbo in theory and went off on a tangent and did his own thing. This sticks a lot more closely to the source material. They did make a few changes, but we'll talk through them. Yeah, because I think the changes that they make are necessary. Yes, because when we reviewed the animated one, we love it. Not just because it's a classic, because it's a great story. Yes. But there were a lot of holes. Yeah. And I feel like this movie did a fairly good job of tying some of those up. I will say, from the jump, what I liked about this movie was that they kept some of the old music. Mm. Especially in that opening scene. But they kind of New orleans it up a little bit. Like, you get a little bit more of that, like, Zydeco flair. Uh, I, the, the New Orleans score throughout this film is brilliant. I absolutely love it. Me too. And so it's those familiar touches. It is the music. It is the hat box. And I have to say that Puppy Lady is as adorable as ever. If you thought you loved her in the animated film, wait until you see her in the live action film. She is very, very cute. I do take issue with the reveal, though, because, you know, as you said, they've got the setting going. They establish its New Orleans through the music. But, you know, you can just kind of tell because they start on that wide shot and they push in all the way into the house. And um, you kind of get that small town feel, even though it is New Orleans, it's that Marceline feel that Walt loves to evoke in his films. Yeah, that very atypical turn of the century. Exactly. And it's Christmas and they got the tree. So you push in through the window. He gives her the hat box. She opens up Lady. And the camera is still behind them so that you can see Lady come out of the box. But it's like, you just got a puppy. I want to see that reaction. It's impressive because it's all done in one take. But I wish they would have cut and flipped the shot so that you could see the delight on Darling's face. Especially because in this film, more so than the in, in the original, um, there is a lot of human interaction. There is a human element to this film that is absent in the original movie. Right. 
and I, I remember thinking to myself, oh, they're going to shoot this the same way where it's a lot of humans in profile, humans from behind, humans from the waist down. And that's Almost not how it is at all. Charlie Brown yes. type of thing where the adults don't really exist. Right. It's a surprising choice, too, because to fill time, you can't do the Charlie Brown thing. You have to stretch it out a little bit more and you do have to give the adults a bit more substance. So I'm really surprised that they didn't show it. Where it does work, though, is the time jump where you see Lady as a baby as the puppy trying to fight her way into bed. And then, you know, we got such a kick out of it in the animated one where like six months go by and she's still got her spot that she has taken for herself on the bed here. They do it one take again, but it's so brilliant because it's nighttime when she weasels her way into bed and then they just turn the lights on full bore and it's daylight and they wake up and she's six months old. And immediately I think to myself, wow, the talking animals look really good. Um, obviously, you know, you can tell when it's CGI, when it's not the actual animal actor. But with that said, it is very impressive. It doesn't come off with the cheese that I thought it was going to. Not in the very least. No, because like you said before, the potential to go Beverly Hills Chihuahua is scary. Yeah. Um, and that was, I believe, Tessa Thompson was voicing Lady. Yes. All right. So clearly Disney likes her because she's Valkyrie in uh, in Thor. Right. And then we meet Trusty, who is voiced by Sam Elliott, who is the perfect Trusty. He really is. I mean, you could not have found anybody better to the point now where, and I'm not talking about Trusty as a character in totality when you think about the Disney universe in a broad scope, I'm talking about in this particular film, other than maybe say Wilford Brimley, I don't know that you have that you could have found a better trustee than Sam Elliott. Ooh, Wilford Brimley would be pretty good. He would be really good, but Sam Elliott absolutely crushed it. Yeah, and I like the little variation that they made to the character because Trustee is always talking about his grandfather, old reliable. Now he's getting a little senile and referring to himself in the third person as old reliable talking about his glory days. So I thought that was actually an interesting choice. And I think it was good character development there. I also like this new take on Jacques because Jacques was male in the original animated film is female. Now it's short for Jacqueline. But what I love about what they did with this character is that Jacques in the original film was comical because he was sort of tongue in cheek because he kind of had the Napoleon complex thing where he was little dog, big mouth, but obviously was very smart and, and had the best of intentions. But what I love here is that Jacqueline is the obsession of her owner's life. She dresses her up, takes pictures of her, paints portraits of her. And now she, in her mind, is sort of a celebrity. And I absolutely love this take. I found it to be hysterical. It's a very contemporary take, but I actually don't like the gender swap. I think it made the character lose a lot of that spunk and tenacity. 
Um, although I will give you that though, but I don't think the humor comes from Jacqueline. I think it comes from the owner because she's got like a screw loose the way that she's so obsessive about dressing her up. I will say this though, if they were really living in Victorian era, this woman was years ahead of her time. I could totally see this being like an Etsy shop where you do the, you know, portraits of dogs. Or that that is like a new thing where you get them on the canvas and they'll put the dog's head on like some proper... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a king's uh, robe or something like that. Yeah, you see a dog's head on the Mona Lisa. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, I suppose. But for all intents and purposes, that bit should have gotten old and it didn't. No, because it was just enough. Another area that they deviated, and, you know, it's minutia, but this time they actually show the baby bump to establish that Darling is pregnant. Right, whereas the last time I think she put the potted flower in the window. Yes, it was all very symbolic, and Lady could tell that they were acting differently, but she couldn't pinpoint it. Here, Lady says, I don't know how this could get any better. Literally cut to her cuddling them on the couch around her growing belly. So they didn't shy away from it. Again, it's, you know, smart choice to modernize this film. And then we meet Tramp um, for the first time. And voiced by Justin Thoreau. And cast with a rescue dog. Cast with a rescue dog, which is a fantastic story. And... He's likable. He doesn't have the swinging bachelor savviness that he had in the original. This was a little bit more like... He almost plays it more like Dodger from Oliver and Company, where he's very street smart, he's a trickster, he knows that he's clever, and he's really just in it for himself. So that is a change within the character, but I think given the fact that they were doing a more contemporary style of film here. In this case, again, a change that worked. Yeah, he's a lot more scrappy and resourceful, and I think they did a really good job of setting that up because for his first meal in the animated one, you know, he gets up, he stretches, and he's like, oh, where am I going to go today? Am I going to go get this from the bakery or that from, you know, like a schnitzel from wherever or whatever? And um, this time he like sets up a heist for this guy's sandwich that's sitting on a park bench. So you kind of see Tramp's wheels turning a little bit more in this one. And you meet Bull and Peg and he busts them out because they've been captured by the dog catcher. Benedict Wong as Bull is perfect. I did not know originally that that's who voiced bull i know benedict wong was in this film but i didn't know who he played i don't think i really put the two and two together either but um yeah you know him from uh dr strange yes and if you thought he was good janelle monet is peg oh my god is probably of anybody in this movie Probably the most spot on casting. She's perfect, but like Janelle Monet is perfect. She's got perfect tone. She's got perfect skin. Like she is just perfect all the time. But I love her. She has the right 
attitude and the right swagger for this character. Yes. And because she's got a great voice, obviously that will play in later in the film. But she absolutely knocks it out of the park. She kind of like gives it more of a grounding in the South just because she's got like a little bit of a drawl. Not not a lot, but I think it definitely added to the setting. Yes, I buy her as being authentic from Louisiana. It works for the character. You know what doesn't work for me on any level? Sometimes characters don't need that much development. Looking at you, dog catcher. Yeah, I know I, I'm going to jump the gun here. I'm going to let you finish what you were going to say. Oh, no. You go ahead. I, I can't believe I said that. I, I have you know, rip movies apart because they didn't have proper character development. But I don't know why this guy has such a vendetta. It doesn't make any sense. I know that you needed added drama because there's a big difference between an animated film from the 50s, from the 60s, even from the 70s, if you think about the progression of cinema, there's a big difference between an animated film from that era and a live-action film today. I know that audiences today are looking for more substance. That's fine. Flesh it out in Tramp's backstory, which you did accomplish. You don't need to flesh it out here. Because the dog catcher's obsession with Tramp is A, far too much, and B, is an absolute momentum killer. Because any time the movie is paced properly or feels like it's starting to go somewhere, this storyline gets thrown in and it totally shakes you up. And it takes you out of it. And I think that it's done to the detriment of the film. Right, because the other issue is that they kind of tiptoe down one path and then they'll regress and then go down another, meaning that when Tramp frees Peg and Bull, they he dupes the dog catcher. Right. So you kind of get that set up for like the bumbling idiot character, which he doesn't end up being because then he pursues Tramp through the entire film. So then you think, okay, he's going to be the evil villain. But he's not really either because at one point he's got a throwaway line of no dog belongs on the street. So then you think, okay, maybe that's the modern contemporary look at this is he's trying to save them. And even though he's putting them in the pound, he's trying to care for them and get them adopted and find them a good home instead of... The other alternative. The one-way door. Yes. We'll just say the one-way door. Right. So they plant the seeds to go any of those three ways, and then they don't follow through on any of them. And it gets very confusing. And that's what I mean by you shouldn't have developed him that much. It's not necessary. No. A lot of characters in this film, you could flesh out why they chose him I don't really understand. I get you want a villain because the because for all intents and purposes, the villain of the film is the rat. So you needed something else. But 
as I said before, at the risk of sounding repetitive, it's a total mood killer every time this guy comes on screen. Because the other thing is that... And, and, and you know what? To talk about the inconsistency with him, he's so cheesy. Yes. He's like a mall cop. He's like Paul Blart. And if you wanted to play the character that way for comic relief, totally works. But he kind of does that, but then he doesn't. Then so that's you know that's it. He starts going as you pointed out. He starts moving in one direction and then he comes back, and he moves in another direction and he comes back. Really, he just circles the drain. Right, because they never follow through on any of it. I would have been okay if they went full on Paul Blart and like maybe made him trip over himself a little bit more, and you know, like I said, was more of a really dumb character. Right. Even that, you have to be careful because then it comes off as sort of contrived and stereotypical, but it would have worked. Right, because, it, I mean, if they had done that, I'd probably be ripping it apart because it is contrived and it's like, you did nothing with him and you had your chance, but, like, you didn't do enough. Yeah, the choices you made with him, other than the actor, because the actor's fine... I buy him in the role. I thought he did fine with it. But other than him, every every decision you made with the character does not make any sense. Right. And we're going to cycle back around to him as we get further along towards the end of the movie. Yeah, because it just gets worse. It gets worse and it gets uncomfortable and it doesn't really make that much sense. There's a line in this scene that makes me laugh every single time I hear it. And it's when Tramp is escaping the dog catcher <laughs> and he goes and he sees two poodles and he runs back and he sort of doubles back and he's like, hey, are you guys twins? And the one speaks up and goes, I'm her husband, pal. It's great. It's hilarious. No, and it's still, we've seen this like two or three times at this point. I, I keep forgetting. So it's funny every single time. Yeah. You then meet, well, now the baby's born, okay, um, well, actually, the baby's not born yet, excuse me. Before the baby is born, we're in the shower, which you don't, which you do get in the original film, and we meet Aunt Sarah. Bum, bum, bum. Played by Yvette Nicole Brown, who, if any of you ever watched The Walking Dead or The Talking Dead, yes, that is. Yvette Nicole Brown. I like her though. She's so just I. such like an unabashed fan of the show and she'll always be down to go on Talking Dead. She's a good personality. Right. No, and she really knows her story too. And she's well spoken. She's articulate. I like her a lot. And I love her in this movie because she's perfectly insufferable. Not a knock on her, but she plays the character spot on. She really does, because we spent, when we reviewed the original, I believe we spent like 20 minutes ripping Aunt Sarah apart, because she's just awful. And Yvette Nicole Brown really does hold that that end of the character up. But for this one, for the live action, I think I actually hate the dog catcher more. Because Aunt Sarah is more fleshed out. She's a better all-around character. 
Yeah. This time you just love to hate her. It's it's not I'm not sitting here going, who comes into somebody else's house like that? But she comes in and she doesn't even give a gift. This is a, such a great introduction to yes. this character. Yeah. She doesn't even give a gift that would benefit the child. It's a baby shower. She gives like a bowl. And that's not a vase, but it's like a bowl. And she it's goes like a fancy ceramic bowl. And says It'll do wonders for this room. It's like, that is so perfect. Yes. Because that is so Aunt Sarah. That that's her backhanded way of saying, you have no taste. I don't like how your home is decorated. I don't like your husband. I don't buy him as a musician. So I'm going to go and decorate your house to make it look the way I think it should. And and it's not even that much is said. But all of that gets fleshed out over the course of like three lines. Yeah. And that's where that's how you flesh a character out the right way. No. And it's great screenwriting. And it also makes this film so relatable because everybody's got that relative with the backhanded compliment or that, you know, disapproves and they're going to take the digs and the jabs and know that you're just too polite and you're going to sit there and take it. They also plant the seed that. Aunt Sarah doesn't like ladies so that by the time she comes to house sit, there's already a little bit of friction because, as you said before, lady's not getting the attention. So when she's opening, when Darling is opening up this bowl, lady jumps in her lap and Aunt Sarah says, you need to train this dog. So it does give you that little bit of a seed that's eventually going to blossom. And with that, lady goes outside now you have her meet cute with Tramp. Right. And she doesn't know that Tramp's on the other side of the fence. She thinks she, it's trusty. She thinks it's trusty. And she starts to bend his ear about how nobody's paying her attention and she's not getting her hair combed and now she's tangly. And she realizes that it's Tramp. And she doesn't know who he is, wants to know where Trusty is. Starts bar- uh, barking, causes a ruckus, and attracts the attention of the dog catcher. And Tramp. Who happens to be patrolling the neighborhood. Right. Like you do. And even Tramp. That's the thing. Even the character in the film calls out how ridiculous it is because he sees the dog catcher in the neighborhood and goes, This guy is obsessed with me. I got to duck out of here for a little while. So the movie is sort of calling itself out. I just want to point that out. He goes to hide in Lady's doghouse. Jim Deere comes out. They have this very bizarre interaction between Jim Deere and the dog catcher. And after Jim Deere goes back inside, that's when Tramp tells Lady that when the baby moves in, the dog moves out. I like this little vent sesh to well she thinks it's trusty but it's to tramp um because there's a lot happening here she still doesn't know what the baby means and she says you know she's talking about all of darling's changes and she says jim deer seems pretty much the same but i can smell fear on him all the time and i think that's such a funny line because it's so true you know the Poor guy's trying to hold it together, but he's about to become a father for the first time. So, of course, he's falling apart. It's understandable. Um, what I don't like, though, is that, like, you know, ladies saying I haven't been brushed all day. And like you said, I'm all tangly. And 
what I feel like we're losing a little bit of in the character is the Southern Belle debutante. And now we're bordering on spoiled brat, especially because they are juxtaposing that against Tramp, who, you know, it's it's like you said before in the animated, he's got a lot more swagger and he loves that bachelor lifestyle. Here we see him like having to fight for his survival a little bit more. So it's really you kind of feel for Tramp in the scene a little bit more because it's like those are your problems, really. Meanwhile, we've had to see him fight for a meal and now he's got this guy on his heels that's got, you know, a personal vendetta with him. I can see where uh, you take issue with that. I sort of took it as she has lived this pampered lifestyle in this upper-class home, and she obviously has what, what people would deem nowadays as a first-world problem. But exactly. But it's it's done innocently um she's not really stamping her feet like where's my brush and where's my belly rub i see where it plays off that way but i read that more as an innocence because she just doesn't know any better yeah you're right it's it's like i'm not saying you're wrong I, it can go either way. Right, because it's a cluelessness. It's just, this is what I'm used to and this is what I'm not getting. But I think that's it. Because you're putting it up against Tramp like that, it does kind of cheapen her problems. I would agree. And instead of feeling for Lady, and you should, because we've just watched her be totally neglected, I don't really anymore. Because it's like, you really don't have problems compared to him. Right, and then Trusty and Jock eventually make their way over, and the three of them sort of show Tramp the door. And then we see, um, in the next scene, the birth... Well, we don't actually see the birth of the child. (laughs) Yeah, they made some big changes there. But what we see is the doctor coming out of the bedroom after the baby has been delivered at home, played by Ken Jeong. And there are two things I love about this. Ken Jeong actually is a doctor. Yes. And... I feel like that's become a joke of Hollywood is that Ken Jeong is a doctor and he had that show Dr. Ken. Well, he's laughing all the way to the bank. I don't think he cares. And the other thing I love about it is it doesn't matter whether he's playing the doctor for 30 seconds in the Disney Plus launch title of Lady and the Tramp or whether he is Leslie Chow jumping naked (laughs) out of a trunk of a car in Vegas Ken Jeong is an absolute scene stealer. A thousand percent. Every single thing that he does. And what I love about this scene is that he's delivered a thousand babies. This is nothing new to him. And you could just tell that he's he's totally calloused and he doesn't care anymore because he's not even giving uh, Jim Deere the benefit of the doubt. And Jim Deere's like, did you see it? It's a girl. She's so beautiful. Yes. Of all the children I've delivered, yours is the most beautiful. And Jim Deere, because he's so verklempt (laughs) and he's so worked up, believes it. And he doesn't see the sarcasm in it. And my favorite part about this scene, as he's leaving, he pets Lady, looks down at her and says, good luck, and just (laughs) walks out the door. 
better ca- character development than the dog catcher. Yes. And he You've has... got like three lines, and I get more about you than I do this wackadoo who's after Tramp. And he has maybe 30 seconds of screen time. Maybe 30 seconds. So you see that Jim Deere and Darling are starting to raise the baby. Lady continues to take a back seat. Okay. Yep. Consistent with what we've seen in the original. What I like that they did, though, because it would have been really cheap if she had gone to vent again, which you had to let her do so she could meet the tramp. But if she had gone to vent to either Jacques or Trusty, it kind of cheapens it. Here, they showed us rather than told us what's going on because she's looking out the window and she sees Trusty eating dinner with his owner. And then she sees, albeit torturous, that... Jacques is getting all the attention from her owner, and she definitely feels like she's missing out. And it's it's done well because, again, this is a live-action film done many, many years after the original animated film. So you can flesh things out a lot more here. I think the average moviegoer is looking for more of that, but what they accomplish in this scene is that it is a very intense and I mean it's intense, juxtaposition, because you are so happy for Jim Deere and Darling who have this beautiful, healthy child. This is not a bad thing. However, you are invoked with an emotion of this is not a good thing, even though it is because you feel so bad for Lady because it's not that she's neglected. They're distracted, but it comes off as neglectful. And in in what is what a lot of people would consider to be a miracle, the birth of a child, the, you know, and they, they do it so well here. Yeah, it's much more effective. And this is like what I was talking about before is because now I do feel bad for Lady because they are they don't mean to, but they're treating her badly and she doesn't understand why. And it's not like they even show her the baby so that she sees why there's all of these changes. She still doesn't know. Right. And then you see Aunt Sarah come back. And what I really like about this change is two things. We find out that Jim Deere and Darling are taking baby Lulu to Jim's sister's house. Fine. Fine. As you do with the newborn, you're going to see the family. Which is great, because in the original animated film, we took a great issue with, in spite of the fact that we did not know how much time had gone by, how you were leaving a newborn with Aunt Sarah while you go off wherever it is that you are going. Why are you going? Again... The movie goer, when that original film came out, wouldn't care about it. And I don't want to sit here like one of these jerks that's going to overlook that. And I'm going to call it out on something that was acceptable then. Because the movie going experience was a lot more basic. Let's just call it what it is. It was more basic. You didn't expect all of this backstory. And not everything needed a throwaway line and to be fleshed out. But I think that was more something that we pointed out because it didn't age terribly well that they would just leave the kid. Now, they're not leaving the child. They're taking the child with them. So you have now closed that plot hole. Great. 
And what I like about it more is that there is a comical element now because Aunt Sarah, who already does not like Lady, thought that she was going to come in and handle the child. And they basically close the door in her face and say, we're out of here, have fun with the dog. And it puts Aunt Sarah in a situation she does not want to be in. Oh, she's dumbfounded when they leave her. Here's the thing, though. I appreciate that they didn't take too much liberty and they addressed the plot hole and they didn't change it up too much, but we're still not perfect just yet. Because when Aunt Sarah first comes to the baby shower, I think they are, somebody says like, oh, you made it. Um, So you do kind of get the impression that she's coming, that she's traveling a long way. Um, But she doesn't come with any bags that we see. She just comes with the gift. Now she's got her overnight bags. I think we can assume that because she thinks she's spending time with the baby, you know, sometimes that happens. Like usually a couple has a, a baby and, you know, their par- the grandparents will stay just to get them on their feet. Right. And make sure they're they're sleeping for a couple of days. Um, so I think we can kind of play it off that Aunt Sarah thought she was coming to help. Um, but they still it's it's not perfect yet. There's still a couple of questions. And I can live with this, though. It's much better than just why are you leaving your newborn with someone? Yeah. So the other thing that this does is. It causes extra drama with Lady, which I think works very well in setting up the scene where she eventually does get her muzzled. Um, whereas in the in the original film, it seemed like she sort of jumped to a conclusion very quickly. Why this works here, though, is because the cats come out of the basket. Meanwhile, Aunt Sarah just goes upstairs. She's listening to music. She's not even down there. When you see the reveal of these two cats. Who she didn't bring to the baby shower, though. So that's where I'm saying where this this is not perfect. Because it's like, if you were traveling for that long, you need them with you at the baby shower. Not necessarily. It's not implied that she traveled all that far. Somebody said, oh, good, you made it. I would say that if any of our friends in town showed up for any barbecue that we were doing. If they were on the fence about whether they could come or not. So I think to imply with that, I think for that line to imply that she's traveling some great distance, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Um, and obviously she's going to bring these cats if she's staying here for multiple days at a clip. Why Why you would have brought cats into a house with a dog, I don't know. But And it's still, I don't know. But Right, and again, that didn't get addressed either. So we're we're not perfect here. You also lose the entire story if the cats are not there. You so lose the I'll entire story if they don't leave and Aunt Sarah is stuck in the house. So yeah, I'll, I'll live with I'll it. Give it it's that. fine. All right. So then we, we agree. We're going with she was coming. She thought that she was going to help out in the, you know, the first couple of days, weeks, whatever it was. And she got completely duped. That they deliver on. Fine. Fine with that. You see the cats. They come out and they obviously are no longer Siamese. They no longer have accents that are now racially insensitive. Um, And you lose the We Are Siamese song, which is replaced with a song called What a Shame. 
But I think that this entire song is a miss. Yep. I'm just going to say it. I don't like it as much as the original song, We Are Siamese. I understand that nowadays that is not appropriate. I'm not saying they should have remade that song or that they should have remade that sequence. Let's not mix signals here. Settle down. But you didn't need a song. These cats could have just been bad cats that were setting up the dog to get in trouble. And it would have worked just the same. I just don't think the song's that good. I had said when we reviewed the original, what I would have liked to see is if they used a Persian cat like grumpy cat and then you didn't even have to have two you could have just had one cat that looks like it's mad at the world causing mass destruction what i take bigger issue with is that this song sounds a little bit like i want to be like you not the chorus because you know that's people are going to be like what are you crazy but if you think about the verse when he's don't try to kid me man cub that that to me sounds just like this song and not even so much they didn't really go to new orleans with this one like it's not enough zydeco it's just i don't know it's it's like a weird mix what yeah. was lin manuel miranda doing yeah it didn't have any of that cajun yeah you know, i i would have liked to see what he did with this song yeah the the whole thing just feels disconnected what it feels like is uh oh we can't have this song in a movie in 2019. Right. Put something else in. We got this. Fine. People will like it because they're not going to kick up a stink over the other song anymore. And they just ran with it. No, and there's no more menagerie either. There's no fish. There's no bird. There's not. They just rip up some furniture and knock a couple of things over. Not to mention, I don't care how loudly she is blasting that music. You're telling me you heard none of this, Aunt Sarah? She's just as dumb as she is in the animated one. But is the better character in this film versus the original. But what I like about this, what they did accomplish, first off, of all of the CGI in the film, the cats are actually what look the worst, in my opinion. It's very clear that they're CGI. Yeah, Um, bad. I do like how they play off of each other. I like how they quote-unquote high-five each other with their tails. There was some animation here that worked, but I would have liked to have seen an actual animal actor because when you're using animal actors for the rest of the film, albeit there is a lot of CGI, when you put something in there that is completely animated, it does stand out. I like the fact that they are completely destructive, I'd say more so here than they were even in the original film. But what works is they know that they're going to set Lady up, just like they do in the original. But when Aunt Sarah comes down the stairs and they're huddled against each other on top of the mantle, shaking as if they're horrified and terrified of Lady, this entire setup that gets Aunt Sarah and Lady from the house to the pet shop, no longer seems nearly the knee-jerk reaction that it was in the original. Yes, because she saw it. 
That's that's the operative word is that she came downstairs and she saw the damage, whereas last time the cats run up the stairs and ladies barking at them. And that's that's the knee jerk reaction. And she hasn't had that prior interaction with lady like she does this time at the shower. And they don't seem nearly as terrified as they do in this. So it works. It really, really works. What I don't understand. Now we get to the pet shop. Mm. And the shop owner does not want to put this muzzle on Lady, which is fine. Seems like a good guy. Seems like a good guy. But the muzzle, there's there's two things about this that I don't like. First, the muzzle that he has is not modeled on a pet. It's not modeled on a dog or on a cat. It looks like it's off of a rabid weasel or whatever animal that was. Oh, I thought it was a beaver. I thought that was a nod to the animation because the beaver is what gets it off. No, I don't think that was a beaver. I I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't really know what it was. I'm not a zoologist. It's like a wooden critter. It's, It's not. Thank God they didn't go taxidermy. That would be really poor taste in a pet shop, but it's like a wooden carving. I thought it was a... No, I I think it was taxidermy. In the pet shop? Yeah, I thought that was... I thought it was wooden. I don't know. We can agree to disagree on that. We're... At this point, we're really nitpicking. The the point is, it's off of a... (laughs) The muzzle model. the, The muzzle model is a rabid animal. And... Why you would have a muzzle for a rabid animal in a pet store does not make any sense. I know you want the visual because, again, it's juxtaposition because Lady is not ferocious. She's not vicious. But we know that. We don't need you to tell us again. The the pet shop owner even offers her, her a toy. And I actually like that because Aunt Sarah's reaction is, you think she should be rewarded for this? My biggest issue here, though, is to put the muzzle on, why does he take her collar off? Why does the collar have to come off for the muzzle to go on? That's a great question because you do notice the collar coming off. I guess it never really occurred to me because now it's setting up later on because once the muzzle comes off, now she's a street dog. She doesn't have a collar. And that obviously that sets up once she's in the pound. You can't have a collar. They just would have ran the collar, you know? Of course. Well, I say ran the collar like it's a. they can look it up on a computer, but... Well, there was a database, though. I mean, these, these dogs were licensed. They were registered. Right. So you need the collar to come off for later, but you're right. In order to get this apparatus on, it didn't need to come off. It could have come off when Lady was struggling in the street when she was running in between cars and underneath cars and away from whatever little parade that was that was marching down the street and then she has a run-in with the other stray any of those instances would have been fine why you would take a collar off of a dog in a pet shop to put a muzzle on makes absolutely no sense it could have even come off with the muzzle Like if she got it caught and everything just got yanked off. And she didn't realize it, sure. My bigger issue with this whole thing, and you just hit on it, was that this whole scene was far too blown up. 
with the, okay, I get it. She's going to struggle. She doesn't want to wear it. But things are being knocked over in the pet shop. Like, on Walt's wildest day, he has never caused that much destruction. I mean, granted, okay, I've never, I've never had to muzzle him, thank God. But even when he's all hyped up, he's never caused that much destruction in a small space. Even if one thing got knocked over. This, it's like there's, you know, things crashing down, coming off of shelves. Birds are getting released. Yeah. And then she runs out into the middle of the street, like you said, just as a parade happens to be going by on Main Street. And if it's not an entire parade, I don't know if it was somebody running for mayor. Like, I I don't know. Whatever the case, this is like the same... Like, here comes Mayor Goldie Wilson from Back to the Future with his little campaign car. Sure, exactly. Whatever the case may be, this is like the dog catcher scenario. You don't need that much. Yeah, I think that where so far, at least, where the film has made mistakes, it's been going zero to 60 way too fast. Right, because you don't need to create that much added drama or tension. Correct. So then she does have this run-in with another stray dog who traps her in an alley. Tramp comes back, and together they work on getting her out of the situation by convincing the other dog that she's got rabies. It's actually a funny scene because she can't... She. She doesn't really understand how to sell it, and she's being way too deliberate, but she's just outsmarting something that's not as smart as she is. It does, it does almost remind me, though, of the Aladdin-Jasmine meet-cute yes. when he saves her from having her hand chopped off, and he's like, just play along with me, and eventually Lady gets it. This is probably the biggest deviation from the animation because you're losing the whole uh, zoo scene where she goes to get the muzzle off, and instead you've got this run-in with this other street dog that Tramp gets her out of. Um, they get the muzzle off. There is that not this time. I don't know if it's another beaver, but it is a beaver. He takes her to a statue, and she puts the muzzle on the beaver's teeth, and he kind of gets her loose. And then they take a steamboat to get her back home. I don't know that I like it better. What I like is that they did something that's authentic to the area. Because in New Orleans, you can ride a steamboat up the Mississippi. So, okay, great. But I don't know. I think this was more about having a really nice visual than it was the story. I disagree. Okay. Because, yes, it is a nice visual. Yes, they are trying to do something that is very New Orleans and and sort of rooted in the culture but and i'm jumping ahead when we get to the scene where peg is singing he's a tramp it's not a music bed that comes up underneath her unnaturally it's because the pound is by the water and she starts singing along with the band that's playing on the steamboat as it passes the pound and they hear the music through the window without setting up this band on the steamboat I would not have understood. It I never would have dawned on me, somebody who's never been to New Orleans, that that music was coming from that boat. I honestly never even noticed that. So really nice catch there. Start paying attention. Are, are, are you serious? 
we we have a, a year and a half worth of me paying attention to these Disney films. They have their little day out, and it's cute, and he shows her Restaurant Row, which, again, totally different from the original, because in the original, that's when he was doing, oh, today and I'm Irish, and I go here and I have this, you know, and then I go here and I go here and I go here, and I'm, I'm Butch on this day, and I'm Sammy on this day, and I'm whatever my name is on this day. I don't remember most of the names, but you, you get it. People remember that scene as he's walking through the neighborhood. Now he's got this Restaurant Row. Okay, that's it. it's it. I don't think you needed to make the change, but it's not the end of the world. Now you get to Tony's, and he comes around the back of the restaurant, and Joey, the chef, well, the sous chef, whatever capacity he's in, sees him, and it's all oh, Butch. We're really busy tonight, and then he sees Lady. And then Tony comes out and they say, you know what, we're really busy, but we're going to make this lovely meal and this candlelight meal for Tramp and for Lady. And you get the iconic scene with the spaghetti and meatballs. But before we get to that, I know that you have sort of a really interesting anecdote in regards to somebody who is in this scene, which you only told me this story for the first time, literally while we were mic checking to get this episode off the ground. How you withheld this from me, I have no idea. I feel like I had to have told you this. No. When we watched this the first time. No, you like, yes, you should have told I... <laughs> me. This is sort of a, hey, interesting story. This guy over here... Nope, you told me for the first time about an hour ago. Well, I, I got to throw a little love over to the sous chef Joe, who is played by Arturo Castro. So Arturo Castro doesn't know this, but I've, I've actually met him several times. And uh, this was probably had to be about eight, nine years ago when I was first starting out. And so was he. I was producing a short film. And we did an open casting call and he came in and he just nailed it. Like when they say, you know, like all these big time actors, like you just knew there was something about like there was a thousand percent something about him. And um, I was pounding the table to cast him because I thought he was so talented. And ultimately there was somebody higher ranking than myself had the final say and we didn't cast him and I felt terrible about it because like he really brought it that day he was so professional and he was so nice too I remember that and I felt really bad that it didn't work out so about a month later I'm working on a commercial in New Jersey I went to work in New Jersey from Long Island and lo and behold who's in the commercial Arturo Castro and I was like oh, that's great. I'm glad to see that he bounced back and he's finding work, this, this, and that. Not that I'm saying that I was going to make or break his career, but, you know, I've been there. Like I said, I was starting out too. You you always want to have your next gig lined up. So I didn't want to go up and say anything to him because you just never know, like, if he wasn't having a great day or, like, if he wasn't getting... Like, I, I don't know. I could have been, like 
the film that I was working on could have been like his fifth reject rejection that week. You just never know. He so, almost quit the business. No, seriously. I'm, but you don't know. The, tr- the truth is you don't know. Right. So I just kind of left it at that. I worked with him that day, didn't make a mention of it, and prayed that he didn't recognize me. So a couple years later, um, I read the book Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. I was all excited it was getting adapted to film, and I saw that he was cast in that, and I was like, this is fantastic. He's getting these bigger and bigger roles now. Um, I'm walking through Penn Station, and I see advertisements for his show. He does like a variety show called Alternatino. So like, he's really come up, and it's just made me so happy to see that he's done so well. And, you know, there's a lesson here. It's a really inspiring lesson that, you know, just goes to show don't give up because you never know what your big break is going to be. And now he's gone from this little commercial that we did and now he's in a Disney film. And I can say that I know somebody who was in a Disney film, which is pretty exciting. Again, something I thought I would have heard prior to tonight. With all that being said now, after that beautiful story that you just told, this scene is the biggest letdown for me in this entire movie. I didn't want to say I it because I just, <laughs> I just built... You just waxed poetic. I know. But I just built up the story, but the scene does not build the same way as it does in the animation. Now I just feel like I'm crushing Arturo Castro again the way that we did after that first casting call. Well, it's not him that's the issue. No, it's and, not. And it's he, not. He and the actor that play Tony, they they're both this, great. They're so good. They have this great chemistry. My problem with this scene is that when when Bellinati starts in the original film, he, you know, Tony comes out with this big booming voice, and it has so much behind it and it's grandiose and it's beautiful and it is like such a moment and here you don't really have that it's not as big as it should be especially when you think of some of those Italian crooners that were so classic and that's what you think the song is going to be here because that's how it was. And it was so perfect. And I said it then, maybe the most iconic scene ever animated in the history of cinema. So when this happens here, they don't really harmonize off of each other nearly as much. And it's, it's just not when you're going to remake that scene. You have to, you have to at least come close to equaling it, and they don't. I really wasn't going to say anything after my Arturo Castro story, because, you know, I built it up so much, and I'm saying it's great that he's done so well, and now we're going to pull this apart. But to be objective here, we did when we reviewed the animated lady in the tramp say what you forget about such an iconic scene is how short the song actually is and there's not a lot of words it's the same verse and they do it twice here they don't repeat it so it's even shorter and that's why I think you lose 
that build and the emotion and even the kiss. I feel like there's not as much leading up to it and then it just happens. It's not, it's just not as magical. I don't know if it's that it's less magical so much as you know that it's going to happen because there's no, there's anticipation because you know it's going to happen and it's, when is it happening? When is it? Oh, look, it's happening. It's happening. What I, what's missing here, and I guess, I guess there's only so much you can do with it because it's not purely animation and you're trying to make it look real and you're trying to make it look like it is live action. But when they kiss in the original film, there's a moment of shock and Lady pulls back and she's very coy and you can tell she's sort of embarrassed. You do lose that emotion here. I think I got it. I think they made this scene too much about the humans and not enough about Lady and the Tramp because it's so focused on the song and them singing and not focused on why they are singing and what they are, who they are singing about. I, I miss as well when there's, I think it's when Tony is singing about there are stars in your eyes and they kind of pan lady in the original film and you see the reflections of the stars in her eyes and she's starting to have this realization that, you know what? There might be a good life outside of my four walls and outside of my world that I have with Jim Deere and Darling. And there is a big world out there and she's starting to fall for Tramp, but she's also starting to see how much could be out there for her to discover. And they try to replicate it here, but you don't have the sparkle and that is lacking because they buried the lead going into this scene. They have that conversation on the bridge and that's where it starts to happen when he shows her restaurant row and they're on their way home and she's the one who says, let's go get a bite. So you've already done it. She's already fallen. She's already agreed to go. You're already there. And that's what I, that's what I mean by you lose that magic because you've already established that there are feelings there and she doesn't really have to be coy anymore. Her aha moment is gone. Yes. And you need it there. You need it on the strand of spaghetti. Yes, you do. They go back out into the park and um, they go to the top of the hill and that's when we find out the backstory that is tramps. It's not that you needed it per se, because you always assumed that he had experienced this himself, but you actually do see it here. So it does make sense that they show it. It makes sense that they flesh it out. And it's an absolutely heartbreaking scene. Yeah. They didn't just give him the backstory. They didn't just show it. I mean, they went for the jugular This is awful. You established that he had a family. You established that a baby was born. But did you really have to carry it out in such a horrible way? It's not like they just put him outside of their home and then he had to figure out how to fend for himself. They drive him in a car to an alleyway and his owner throws a ball 
And while his back is turned, jumps back in the car and pulls away. And that's the most devastating thing because as a dog owner, you know, you can joke all you want about when you come home, how happy your dog is to see you because you came back to them. But there really is like a fear and a panic sometimes you know they don't know it can't be explained you can't you know you can talk to them and they can understand you and you can communicate with your dog in certain ways but like you cannot explain that like you're always going to be there for them and to see what happens to the dog when that doesn't happen and you don't come back is truly awful right i mean him being abandoned so coldly it it validates his attitude he's he's jaded and he's angry and that's where him not being the swinging bachelor and he's less fun that's where it makes sense but a lot of critics said that this movie lacks heart and that was a big criticism that they had i disagree i don't think it's that it lacks heart i think it's just more grown up and you know what yeah, you know, it is jaded, and maybe that's telling of the times, because they had to take a classic film, they didn't change the time period, but they had to change the attitude to cater to today's audience. So yeah, you know what? Maybe that's a commentary on how we've changed as a society and how we have changed as an audience, but I don't think this movie has any less heart than the original. It just, I, I think that it's a far more mature version of that original story. And the funny thing is, the critics hated Lady and the Tramp when it came out. And now, critics today are defending it for what it is. And I said when we reviewed the show, back on episode number 63, that I couldn't figure out why they gave it poor reviews and why they didn't like it. So it is funny now Critics all those years ago said, ah, it's not that good. And critics today are going, well, it's not like the original. Everyone's a critic and you can't win them all. But really, what would you rather have seen them do? Just drop Tramp off at the pound? Yeah. Was that going to be as effective? I mean, sad, sure. But, you know, it's not going to have that that same, you know, this this ripped my soul out and shattered it. Well, that's it. It It's number one, playing with your emotions, and number two, it validates his attitude because he's yes. way too angry at the world to have just been brought to a pound. You needed some, I hate to say it, you needed something terrible to happen to him. Bringing him to a pound would have made him not trust humans. This makes him hate humans. And that's why it's not, good enough you you could have set this up like even in that the first scene where they meet where she hides him in the doghouse you could have established it so that she still lived in her house and he came to visit her and that's their relationship but there's not that same sense of urgency to get her to leave her lifestyle and that's what you need yes so after we find out his story and he's still trying to convince lady that she doesn't need to go home Guess who shows up at, oh, I don't know, it's dark, 9, 10 o'clock at night? Yeah, how many hours is he working? Here comes the dog catcher again, and he chases after them, and he thinks that he's gotten Tramp cornered in a railroad yard where 
one of the employees, I guess the gentleman that manages or runs the railroad yard, doesn't want Tramp there either because that's where Tramp sleeps every night. They corner him. We didn't need a conspiracy. Didn't need it, but we got it. And Lady comes in and she distracts them so that Tramp can escape. And in the... She comes back for him. Right. Because he said, let's split up and she didn't want to. They split. She came back. And and the, the end up is she is caught and brought to the pound. And rather than trying to figure out a way to bust her out, he looks at her from a distance where she can't hear him. And he just says, I'm sorry. So he's going to let her go. He's not He's not going to do anything to help her to get her out of this situation. He already tried. He told her to go. He took on the chase. Yes, but I'm saying other than that, he's not going to do anything else. Right. So you're establishing the fact that at the end of the day, up to this point in time, because he hasn't had his character arc yet, he is still, as much as he cares for her, he is still a selfish I can't say person, a selfish character. I agree with you there, but I also think, I mean, obviously he's looking out for himself, but I think he also knows that of the two of them, she's going to be okay because she's going to go to the pound and they're going to figure it out and she's going to go back where she belongs. And I think that's also, you're layering that story of I belong on the street and you belong at home. So then we go to the pound, and whereas the pound is a very sad place in the original animated film, here it feels more like a prison. Like, I feel like I'm watching an episode of Oz. To me, at some points, it kind of feels like a dive bar. Where do you get dive bar? <laughs> I don't know, because you know I'm the first one who wants to take home all the puppies. I guess, it. I mean, it might be... Because of the way that they do, it's the whole number. It's the whole song. It's it's a loungy song. Right. This song, of course, being He's a Tramp, which Janelle Monet kills. She absolutely smokes this song. Yeah. I, I hate to say it, but it's better than the animation. Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think that's because you lose some of the creativity that the animation has because they're casting shadows to make it look like the, uh, you know, the black and white stripes on the clothes and they're... Um, the prison clothes. The, the prison yeah. clothes, yeah. And the, the dogs are howling while the one dog is trying to dig his way out. So you lose a little bit of the comedy and a little bit of those tricks that are very specific to the animation that lighten the mood a little bit. Here, it's just more of like a soulful, gritty number. And I don't care what you lose because it just stands so strong on its own. Yep. And then Nutsy gets taken through the oh. one-way door. And the two puppies that are in the pound go, is he going home? And then the lights start to slowly go out one by one by one. There's your splash of cold water coming right off of that fantastic song. What a powerful piece of dialogue, though. Oh, my God. It's absolutely fantastic. Those two pups, by the way, have been impounded. We've met them already in the beginning because when, you know, we were talking before about Tramp stealing the sandwich, he ends up, classic Aladdin move, 
giving it to these two puppies. And he was like, you can't, your voice can't possibly be that cute. In six months, it's going to drop and you're not going to be able to use it anymore. And basically, he gives them a little bit of tough love about surviving on the streets. So you see that they didn't quite get their chance to do that because this guy got them. But you know what? When he's, when the dog catchers pull in 90 hour weeks, of course he got you. So the next morning we see the dog catcher again and he picks Lady up and he says it's time to go, which was the same thing he told Nutsy. Um, and you see Jim Deere and Darling as they are taking her away. And he has the line that you mentioned before of uh, streets are no place for a dog. But he almost seems annoyed. Like, he kind of, like, shakes his head and walks away. Like, he seems like he's aggravated that she's going home. I wonder if, and again, they don't do a good job of establishing any of this. I wonder if it's because he feels like he's giving her back to irresponsible owners and he does want to protect the dogs and make sure that this is not going to happen again and put her in a situation where she could be hurt. But I'm reaching so much for that one. Yep. What they do a better job of here is that they deliver more on Jim Deere and Darling being upset over what happened because we talked about this in the animation when we reviewed the animated film about how they should have been so much more irate with Aunt Sarah, and they weren't. Like, I, somebody lost Walt, I'd rip their head off. I don't care who it is. So they look just as annoyed with the dog catcher as he is with them, but then they really deliver on it when they let Aunt Sarah have it. Yeah, she finally gets her comeuppance, and when we saw this for the first time... Sitting in the living room watching this movie, I literally stood up and gave a standing ovation. You did. That's not, I'm not making that up. I actually did that. No, and we watched this, you know, we've said it a hundred times on the podcast before. We were in the parks when Disney Plus launched. So we didn't get to see this until probably like five days after it came out. Yeah, that's it. Was like one of the first things that we did when we got home. It was one of the first things that we watched. No, the first thing we did when we got home was go buy a new television because I literally, (laughs) I and I don't think we said I don't think we told him this story. No, we sit down to watch this. Actually, yes, this was going to be the first thing we were going to watch, and our brand new, basically brand new LG television. And I will never buy LG again. Don't get LGs. I'll never buy one again. This TV was less than two years old. It was, you know, a 43-inch flat-screen TV. It just died. Like, I literally had just downloaded the Disney Plus app on Roku and was queuing this movie up, and the the television just died. No, and it wasn't even the picture tube. It kept, like, flashing the LG and then like restart. It looked like it was a computer rebooting. It would just turn itself on and off and on and off and on and off. No, that was... And I said to myself, torture. And it was like, you know, it was like the death knell. I said, gee, I have an LG television that's in the bedroom that's six years old and has never given me a problem. Last week it died. So no more LG. So yeah, 
the first thing we did when we got home from a very expensive vacation was have to go out and buy a new flat screen television. Not an expense I thought I was going to have to endure. And then I had to mount it to the wall because TVs don't fit on television stands anymore. And I did all of this to watch Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> well, the point that I was trying to make was that we were already not in a good mood <laughs> from having to come back from vacation. You're really not in a good mood after all of this. I was coming down with the flu, so this was like a haze to me. And I'm like, I don't care that much because I felt so miserable. But anyway, Lady and the Tramp is what lightened the mood. And that was probably the first time I saw you happy since we had <laughs> gotten on the magically depressed and left. Right. This was like the victory that I didn't know I needed in my life, was watching Aunt Sarah get what was coming to her. And it was so good. And I... I felt like I I was the victor. Like we 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 did it, Jim Deere and Darling. We did it. And they slammed the door in her face, which oh, is excellent. So perfect. So perfect. Yeah, no, they really dotted the I's and crossed the T's on Aunt Sarah. Well done. And then you sort of question some of their decision making because then they bring Lady upstairs and they let her interact with Lulu and all's going good with the world and everything is back to normal. And they then, do a better job of showing them parent both Lulu and Lady this time around. Right. Even though it's a quick little montage. Yes. And Tramp eventually comes back to talk to Lady and she shuns him, wants nothing to do with her. And the dog catcher is there because the dog catcher, of course, is pursuing Tramp because what else would he do at any moment of his life but pursue this one dog? And now, Jim, Deer, and Darling just let this guy walk into their house. And, they're, and they say, we're, we're getting ready to go to bed. It's late at night. Why? Why are you even going to the house? Well, he was trying to find... Tra because the, but he wasn't. Tramp wasn't, he wasn't there yet. Yes, that's what I'm saying. He wasn't trailing Tramp. He, he like, just assumed that because Lady was home, that's where Tramp was going to be. You've yeah. never even seen them together. Right. It was Barely. Like a, you're talking like you're a detective setting up a sting operation. Like, we know he's coming back for the drugs. This is his stash. And we're going to hang out in the closet. When he goes for it, we got him. He literally says, he's coming here. I know it. And they let him in and make coffee for him. Why? Why? You've got a newborn baby that you're trying to keep asleep. You have just said it yourself. You were getting ready to go to bed. Why are you just letting this guy in? Jim Deere has now had three uncomfortable <laughs> interactions with this guy. Darling has had two, yet he's just allowed in the house. He's far too invasive. And that's the other thing. If you're so convinced that Tramp is going to show up, why are you inside? It does not make sense. No. So then Tramp shows up and Lady is locked in the pantry because they thought that she was distracting them from their interaction with the dog catcher. And Tramp hears her barking, comes back. She tells him the rat's in the nursery. He goes up, kills the rat makes a mess, the dog catcher takes him away, they realize they've made a terrible mistake, Trusty and Jacques and Lady set off to go stop the horse and buggy that the dog catcher happens to be driving, and Trusty shows that he is in fact old reliable and he helps track them down, 
And here's where the movie really changes. In the original, the uh, horse and buggy it falls over. Trusty is injured. As it's a is... fake out. You you think that Trusty's done, right? And obviously, we see him on Christmas Day. Not the case in this version of the film. And I actually think I like this touch a little bit more. Um, they they being Trusty and Jacques cannot keep up with. The horse and buggy. But Lady is able to. First off, dogs don't... On The dog is you not going to outrun a horse. a horse, but we're going to look past that for the sake of this is entertainment. She outruns them, and she stands there. And she stands her ground, and she is what stops them. And the thing tips over, and there's the fake out where... Not, we know it's not actually going to happen, but there's the quote-unquote fake out where you think Tramp has perished in this crash and he comes to and he's bloodied up and he's limping and Jim Deere and Darling catch up with them in their car and as they're having this lovely moment the dog catcher throws a rope around (laughs) Tramp's neck (laughs) and says I will walk you to the pound and Jim Deere and Darling do not like how Tramp is being treated because they realize that he was fending off a rat and they say that's our dog we're taking him home and the dog catcher is totally defeated because his purpose in life was to catch tramp and he's never going to be able to do it and he falls to his knees and he realizes that he is a failure in life (laughs) basically is what happens in this scene now what i like about this is that Lady stands her ground. I like that she is actually the hero here. As is Darling. They did a little bit more female empowerment with both of them. That Lady is the one to really go after the cart. And um, Darling is ultimately the one who decides to adopt Tramp. So I like how that plays out. I like that on Christmas Day. Rather than seeing that Lady and Tramp have had their own puppies, you see that Jacques' owner has adopted the two puppies from the pound. Yes. And Trusty is telling the story of Old Reliable catching the dog catcher, and Tramp gets his collar at Christmas. So I do like how they tie this one up. Yes and no. Um, I think... Dialing it back a little bit, I think the rat scene drags and I think this is what this movie falls victim to again is where you're trying to escalate the drama unnecessarily. Um, I think that also has to do with the dog catcher being in the house when he shouldn't be. I, I think that they could have shortened that up a lot more and just made Tramp get the rat, knock a couple things over, and then they should have been running upstairs. That's the other thing. He's made so much noise. The fact that you didn't run up to check on your child is a little bit questionable. But Jim Deere and Darling totally redeem themselves because they end up adopting him. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with what you said, too. I like that it was Lady who's the one in pursuit. And as I said, you know, you you give the female characters a little bit more gusto because they're the ones that are making the decisions. Um, and I definitely think that the ending brings more closure because that was a point of contention for me in the animated one is that, you know, 
there's less of a time jump now because you see that Jim Deere and Darling, or it's it's not Lulu in the animated one, but their child uh, is about a year old. Lady and the Tramp have puppies and Trusty is still in a cast. So the math doesn't add up because if they've had puppies, he still shouldn't be wearing a cast at that point. Um, so I like that they address it. I like that the puppies are... Well, not eliminated. They are repurposed because you still get puppies. And it sends the are, right message. Right. And they're adopted. So that's great. I think it's definitely a more contemporary ending. And they made it much more relatable. Um, so definitely a stronger ending there. So um, what is your final review here? What's your final say? of the live-action Lady and the Tramp remake. Despite all of the flaws with the dog catcher, I do love this movie. There were, as we said, a couple of plot holes in the animation that they addressed, and although you sort of caused some bigger ones with this stupid dog catcher, um, it's a great remake uh, what you love about the original holds true, and I actually think it's a better ending. I think the ending is great. I think the movie is beautifully shot. I think the sets are great. The costumes are great. The CGI, for the most part, is very good. I said before, I think the animal actors are spectacular. I do like the uh, holes that they filled and the loose ends that they tied up. And the cast. The cast the is cast great. The cast is phenomenal. And the voice cast is unbelievable. It's it's a very good live action remake. It's not great, but I certainly think it's better than Middle of the Road. Which is funny because when you think about all of the live action films that they've done, if you were to rank them all, because surely based on the amount that they're that they've made, and I think it's about eight or ten of them. This actually would kind of fall in the middle when you compare it to a lot of the others, but it's only because of the amount of films that have been made. The fact is, this really is towards the top, I think, of the live-action reboots. Yeah, I mean, I like it, and not that I... Up to this point, at least. I, I like Dumbo. You didn't. No. I like this better than Dumbo. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're both in agreement on this. This is definitely far better than Dumbo. It's not even close. I think we can both agree it's much better than Alice in Wonderland. A hundred percent. I would say it's on... Mm, I don't know if I like it more or less than Jungle Book. I would say about the same. Because uh, I, I like Jungle Book, but I found a couple of flaws with that one. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think they're like a 1A and 1B when you yeah. put them next to each other. Not that I'm saying they're 1A, 1B in in the grand scheme of things, but they are sort of neck and neck. I think depending on the day of the week, I would say Lady and the Tramp is better. Sometimes Jungle Book is better. Dep I haven't watched Jungle Book in a while, but I think as far as the live action remakes go, they fall in the middle for me. 
Yeah. And I like them about the same. And we'd like to know what you have to say. What is your review of the live-action remake of Lady and the Tramp? Where does it fall on your list of Disney live-action remakes? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week coming up in just a second. But first, a quick break. Hey guys, my name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four night Disney cruise ship and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. Mikey likes it. (laughs) Oh, boy. If you want to book your vacation with me, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can send me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News of the week. Yes, Oscar nominations came out this week, and there were a couple of stunners on here. I know a lot of people were absolutely shocked when Missing Link took home the Golden Globe for Best Animated Film, especially when Disney had, I think, more than half the nominations in that category. And I think the general consensus was, okay, the Golden Globes are sometimes a precursor to the Oscars, but certainly... This will not happen at the Academy Awards, will it? Maybe it will. <laughs> it's It was absolutely stunning. Some of the categories that got announced and some of the films that did receive nominations and a few that were left out of the equation altogether. Yeah, uh, there's... A ton of controversy with the nominations. I'm, I'm not even going to touch that. We're going to focus on the Disney-specific things. And when I say Disney-specific, I mean the animations. Because you could, with the Fox acquisitions, if you count those, Disney got a total of 23 nominations in 15 categories. I mean, that's the vast majority of the award show. But... What shocked a lot of people specifically was when it came down to animation, when it was the Golden Globes, they had nominated Toy Story 4, Frozen 2, and The Lion King. Because in spite of the fact that Lion King is a live-action reboot that we will be talking about shortly, keep an eye out for that, um, in spite of the fact that it is a quote-unquote live-action remake, there's no actual live-action actors or animal actors in it so it is totally animated yeah and i would agree with that but if we're looking at the academy nominations the only one that got nominated in the animated feature film category was toy story 4 much to my surprise besides the fact that i can't believe that frozen was not acknowledged i can't believe toy story is what was well let me ask you a question In your opinion, excuse me, because you are an industry person, 
Do you think that there is a bias against Disney right now because of <clears throat> the fact that they just keep buying things? And because Frozen was such a mania for so long and continues to be even more so than Toy Story. Do you think there's a bias against Frozen as a franchise? Because in my opinion, not that it matters, Frozen 2 was a far better film than Toy Story 4, and I thought it was a better-looking film. I mean, if we're talking about an award based on animation, shouldn't the more beautiful animated film have gotten the nomination? Why didn't that happen? I mean, you would think, look, I'm not even going to try and figure out what the trend is with Academy voters, what people are thinking, because th that's it. There's there's Academy bias no matter what. Like, they've finally started warming up to the superhero movies, as was evidenced when Black Panther got the nomination for Best Picture overall. Now, we see Joker was nominated for the Best Picture. Do I think it was the Best Picture of the year? Yeah, absolutely. Do I think it's going to win? No. I think they'll acknowledge it. I still, I don't think they're going to give it to a superhero movie. Just like you said, yeah, I, I think there might be a little bit of a bias because of all these acquisitions. Um, but yeah, I mean, 23 nominations in 15 categories, and that that's with everything. That's things like Ford versus Ferrari, and believe, if you can believe it, Jojo Rabbit is technically under Disney. So does that mean we have to do a review of Jojo Rabbit on oh, Monorail Radio? Can we? Uh, so some of the other categories, I'll go down the list here. And again, this is not with all of the acquisitions. This is just, we'll call it Disney proper. Uh, original score, John Williams is up for Star Wars, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Uh, yeah, obviously. Right. It's John Williams. Uh, animated short film, Kitbull, which we have yet to watch. I do want to see that. That's on Disney Plus, I believe. Uh, sound editing, Star Wars is nominated again. Uh... Makeup and hairstyle, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, crying really? out loud. Yeah, I mean, the makeup I'll give was it that. Great. That's the only thing that film has go going for it. Yikes! Um, original song. Now you've got Disney up against itself, which is what we thought the animated feature category would be. Um, I can't let you throw yourself away from Toy Story Four. Uh, music and lyrics by Randy Newman, um, and Into the Unknown, Frozen Two, the brilliant Lopez's. Um, not the best song in that movie, though. I don't know why they, I don't know why they keep hitting this song so hard. No, the best. Song it's the third best song in that movie. Show yourself, followed by Lost in the Woods. Yes, uh, and that's not a knock at Idina. Then visual effects, you've got another Disney bloodbath. Uh, you've got Endgame. You've got Lion King, and you've got Star Wars. Of those. Honorable mention to Lion King, but I don't think you can dispute Endgame. I don't think so either. Uh, and let me just say, I was never, it. I was never buying the hype that people were trying to get Endgame nominated for Best Picture, and then there were people that were trying to get Robert Downey Jr. for uh, Best Actor. I, I love Robert Downey Jr., but I never bought into any of that hype that uh, that that movie was going to be nominated for Best Picture or that he'd even get Best Actor no, or and Best he's, Supporting. He's brilliant, but I'm sorry, you're not better than either Adam Driver in Marriage Story or Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. 
I agree. Uh, both of those movies. I didn't love Marriage Story. It was a little weird. Uncut Gems got nothing. That shocked a lot of people. I mean, that didn't get one nomination. Yeah. The, and and, the, and Idina got snubbed again. But, well, she might. Yeah. I know. She was hardly in that movie. But, but if you want to see Elsa drop an F-bomb, go see Uncut Gems. You can go see a lot of things in Uncut <laughs> Gems. It's it's a weird movie, but it's good. Not um, a kid's movie. No, don't bring the kiddos. To be honest with you, I think the best film I saw this year was Richard, Richard Jewell. Jewell. And the only nomination that it got in the Golden Globes or at the Academy Awards is Kathy Bates. Uh, she was spectacular. But how that film... You want to talk about a movie... If I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to recognize Endgame as the best film of the year before I recognize Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell, to me, was the best movie of the year, period, end of story. I have to see Just Mercy before I can make the final assessment on that. But to this point, yeah, Richard Jewell is probably the best movie I've seen all year. If you want to see that full list, though... uh, D23 has it. I retweeted it today uh, so you can see what specifically Disney is nominated for. And the full list of Academy Award nominations is pretty much everywhere. Just go on Twitter. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We appreciate it this week and every week. And as we say here, please do us a favor. The only favor you could really do for us because we don't ask much If you want to help us at all, because some people have said, what can I do to help you? Hit the subscribe button. Leave us a rating on Facebook or your podcast platform of choice. And make sure that you share the episode. If you've got friends and family that love Disney, love Star Wars, love Marvel, please share the episode. Put it on your Twitter. Put it on your Facebook. If you want to help us at all, that would be the best way to do it. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.